the book of 3rd John. We are going to finish up our series of lessons on the epistles of John. We looked, we finished last week 2nd um, John and um, I'm not going to do as much of an introduction to 3rd John because I've kind of introduced it already. So we're going to skip and go right into um, the, the meat of the letter. As we know, as we've mentioned, these letters are written by the Apostle John. They are written later in his life, um, probably around 90 A.D. or so. So that puts him probably around age in his 80s or his 90s. So this is an, an elder in age, and that's why um, we see him identifying himself as such in these last two letters, the elder to the chosen lady in 2 John and the elder to the beloved Gaius in 3 John. That helps us to understand how old he is when he's writing these letters and gives us a little bit of insight into the message that he's bringing. So tonight we're going to um, look at 3 John and really um, the book of 3 John centers around three men. There's three men that that John addressed in this last letter. And so as a point of study, as a way that we might study uh, this letter, we can look at it as John addresses these three men. And so that's what we will do tonight. We'll focus in on Gaius uh, and Diotrephes and Demetrius, these three men that, uh, that John addresses here in this third letter. So let's begin with looking at Gaius. And we see this in verse 1. It says, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Now, just very quickly, who is this Gaius? Well, um, there are some five um, Gaiuses mentioned in the New Testament. And there's the, the, the different verses that Gaius uh, is mentioned. Um, exactly which one is that? Uh, it's, it's hard to, uh, to surmise because Gaius was a very common name. Um, very common Roman name, so it's kind of hard to establish if this is one and the same or different men. Uh, no way to know for certain, but what we can know for certain that he was beloved of John, as it says there, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. So just in the very way that he addresses Gaius, um, we know that this is a man that is loved by John. Not only him personally, but he says, whom I love in truth which helps us to understand that, that this is a man who is standing for the truth. And so that helps us to understand that greeting. Um, John has some very good praise of, of Gaius. Let's look first in verses 2 through 4. He says, Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. For I was very glad when brethren came and bore witness to your truth. That is, how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in truth. So here is the praise that, that John begins with, with Gaius. And he says, um, first of all, that, he's, that he prays three things for him. And these three things are that he might financially uh, prosper, um, that he might be of good physical health, just as, he says, just as your soul prospers. So just the physical, uh, excuse me, the spiritual prosperity 
John wishes for as well. So these three things, financial prosperity, physical health, and, and spiritual prosperity, these are the things that, that John prays for, for this man. And you have to kind of ask yourself a question like, um, shouldn't we pray for the same thing for our brethren? We think about how these things would cover a lot of, uh, a lot of our life, right? Financial prosperity, we'd like to be financially sound. And that, of course, means diligently working with our hands so that we can provide for our family and provide for those who are in need. Physical health, we, we, need, we need that to, to move and, and to carry, up, carry on in this life. And of course, spiritual health, our spiritual prosperity. So when we think about, and we often pray for our brethren, and we, we pray for um, those things, but let's keep in mind uh, the, those three things that we should pray for for our brethren. Their financial prosperity, that is the, the material things that, that we have and, and are good stewards of, our physical health and our spiritual health as well. Um, he is glad to hear of his stand in the truth. He says, For I was very glad when brethren, brethren came and bore witness to your truth, that is, how you are walking in truth. And this is a common thing that John speaks of in his writing. Um, and it comes from the reporting of others. He says, I was very glad when brethren came and bore witness of your truth. So John is hearing about um, Gaius and his stand for the truth from other people. And that brings to mind some, um, something here from, from Colossians 1 and verses 3 through 5. When Paul writes, he says, We give thanks to God, the, God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in, faith in Christ Jesus. In this instance, uh, Paul has heard of the Colossians' faith. And so it, it brings to mind how, how do other people think about this group, think about this congregation, think about the members of this congregation. We have a lot of visitors that come in and out. Um, and I spoke this morning about that, you know, how the, the kingdom spreads when these visitors leave here and go other places, what happens there. Do they take back greetings and when they report back to, to their places about the brethren here, are they saying they're standing for the truth there in Cortez? I hope so. I hope that's what they're saying. And we should think about that and make sure that we are indeed standing for the truth. And when people come here to worship, that we are diligent in our worship to make sure that we are serving God and being pleasing to God. So that others go away and they might report back to about the brethren in Cortez and they're standing for the truth. Something to think about. John says he has no greater joy than this, than to hear of his children walking in the truth. And I'll call your attention up to verse 4 of 2 John. He says, I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth, just as you received commandment to do so from the Father. So there's a common theme here amongst in these two letters that John has is, 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 has great joy in hearing about um, people walking in truth, standing for the truth. And he says that in this one, I have no greater joy Verse 4, I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in truth. And you know, that's um, something that we ought to feel. And I made this point last week as we, as we talked about this, is that do we have that great joy when we hear about people being steadfast in their faith? It should bring us the greatest joy to hear that, to hear about brethren standing for the truth. 
and standing firm in the faith. It did for John. It should for us as well. Um, continuing on in our reading, John is um, going to commend Gaius, um, speaking very well of this man. Beginning in verse 5, he says, Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers. And they bear witness to your love before the church. And you will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men, that we may be fellow workers with the truth. Um, he continues to praise Gaius' faithfulness. He says that um, he, he commends him for his faithfulness for the brethren, those that he knows. And he also commends him for those that he doesn't know. He says, especially when they are strangers. And that brings to mind how we um, go about practicing hospitality. Remember, we made the point last time about um, how in 2 John, he brings out the point that there's some people you need to be very careful of in practicing hospitality, these who are these false teachers that are coming in. But we made the point that hospitality is very important. But we do have to be careful about those false teachers and not extending them the hospitality. But here, this brings back up the point of extending hospitality um, to our brethren, making sure that we are accommodating our brethren, and especially when they are strangers. He says there, Beloved, you are acting faithfully when you accomplish this for my brethren, and especially when they are strangers. So this idea of uh, showing hospitality, it's so very important. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 2, the Hebrew writer says, says it this way, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for, this, uh, for this, by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. It's the very idea that we need to be hospitable. Um, to our brethren, those who are, are in need, seeking a place to stay, seeking um, something to, to keep them going on their way. We can do that. We should, we should practice that hospitality. That's something that we are charged to do. So let's make sure that we're doing it. And be like Gaius. Um, praise, praises, praising, John is praising his faithfulness, not only for the brethren, but for those who are strangers as well. He says that you send them off in a manner worthy of God. Uh, look over in, well, for the sake of time, I think we're familiar with this passage. Matthew 25, when Jesus there speaks about, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was naked and you clothed me. And, and the disciples ask, Lord, when did we do this to you? I remember his response. He says, whenever you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. So that encompasses what we're talking about here in a, in a manner worthy of God. So understand that serving one another shows our love for God. And Jesus makes that connection there in Matthew 25. Whenever you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. So that's the manner that's, that is worthy of God that John is talking about here with Gaius in showing hospitality. He continues on and he says... Um, he gives him two reasons to support such men. He says that they went out for the sake of the name. We're talking about those who are going about spreading the gospel, those who are, are going um, in the sake of the name. 
In other words, in the, the name of the Lord, they're going forth and doing these things. So they ought to be supported for that. And also he says that they accepted no support from the Gentiles. He says that there, verse 7, for they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. So they are going about, their mission is spreading the gospel um, in the name of the Lord. And they're not accepting any outside support. In other words, support outside of the brethren. No support from the Gentiles. You know, um, preaching um, some kind of form of the gospel um, to get rich uh, is really an abomination. Is really um, doing just that. You're, you're doing it to get rich. And so if, you, if, if one were to go out and start preaching and teaching and, and, and to do it to get a large following so that they could um, pad their bank account, that's the wrong motivation. The right motivation is doing it for the Lord's name, for his sake. So John is saying that they didn't take any money from the Gentiles. In other words, they're being supported by the brethren. And so what he says is, we ought to support such men. Therefore, we ought to support such men that they will be fellow, that we may be fellow workers with the truth. So um, the brethren bear the responsibility to support gospel preachers. It's our responsibility to do that. The church here helps to support me. I have other churches that help to support me. That's where I earn my living for the sake of the gospel. And that's how it ought to be. That's how um, brethren show their responsibility, and this is how we are fellow workers with the truth. Not all of us can be preachers. Not all of us can be teachers. But we can certainly support the preachers and teachers that are out there doing it. We ought to support such men. Um, look over in Philippians chapter 4 for just a moment. This is something that bolsters this, this point. Um, Paul here, as he's writing to the Philippians, in Philippians 4, beginning verse 15, he says, And you yourselves know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself. So see, there's what we're talking about there. He's not seeking the gift itself. Paul's not seeking after money. What he is doing is out preaching the gospel. And he's commending these uh, Philippians for supporting him in that. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. So this is speaking about what we're talking about here. It's the brethren's responsibility to support the spreading of the gospel. Verse 18, But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. So it's not only that it helps to support Paul in his mission of spreading the gospel. He says, but I'm putting this on your account that you're helping me and you're being pleasing to God in what you are doing. So we have that responsibility to make sure that we are supporting the efforts of such men.
So there's a lot to be said about uh, how John feels about Gaius. Now, he's going to shift gears a little bit and talk about this man, Diotrephes. Now, it seems from uh, putting all this together that these three men were probably uh, members of the same congregation. As in writing the letter here, the way it's addressed, the way that he's speaking to these three men, uh, or speaking about these three men, um, it seems that they're probably of the same congregation. So here we have Gaius, who had, Paul, uh, John just uh, put all this praise on and all this commendation on him. But then there's this man, Diotrephes. Let's read a little bit about Diotrephes. Let's read verses 9 and 10. It says, I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. For this reason, if I come... I will call attention to his deeds, which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words. And not satisfied with this, neither does he himself receive the brethren, and he forbids those who desire to do so, and puts them out of the church. So this is quite a contrast. Diotrephes is quite a contrast from Gaius. And first thing that we notice is that he loved to be in that prominent position. In Gaius, we see a humble man, seeking to serve God, uh, seeking to help the brethren when he, when he could. In Diotrephes, we see a man who loved to be in the prominent position. Is this what Scripture teaches? Uh, scripture teaches quite the opposite, doesn't it? In Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, Paul says, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. See, that's the proper attitude. That's the humble attitude. He goes on in verse uh, 10 to say, Be devoted to one another and brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. You see, we, we ought not to be um, seeking after this prominence of ourselves, but we ought to be giving preference to one another. Not thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to. And I think we've, at least um, at some point in our life, maybe we've suffered from this. Maybe we had to be humbled. And I would venture a guess that probably along the way you've run into a Diotrephes, somewhere along the way. Someone who thought very highly of themselves, who wanted to have a prominent position. Scripture teaches that we need to be humble, not to put ourselves in that prominent position. John says that he's not accepting what we say or what he says. Um, remember who John was. We've, we've made this point a couple of times. But just remember about John. Go back to 1 John for just a second. 1 John chapter 1. We've come back here for different reasons throughout, but think about it in terms of, uh, of Diotrephes is not accepting what John the Apostle is saying. Remember who John was. In 1 John 1, beginning in verse 1, he says, What was from the beginning? What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have beheld with our hands handled concerning the word of life. And life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, that you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. See, it's not just that John is moved by the Holy Spirit to write these things, that's true. 
But John was there with Jesus. John was walking alongside him. John was the only apostle at his crucifixion. So John has a very unique perspective and a unique um, source of authority to be writing these things. And here's this Diotrephes who's not listening to what he's saying. I think that's very interesting. And it shows you a lot about Diotrephes and just how much he thinks of himself to not listen to what John the Apostle is saying. And in this, really, Diotrephes is not only rejecting John, but he's rejecting Christ. He's rejecting the Word of God because he's not listening to what John has to say. For the sake of the name, fellow workers, this is the, um, the, the attitude that needed to be had, the, the humble attitude in, in proclaiming the word of the Lord in his name, being fellow workers, united. That's the attitude that needs to be there. Diotrephes is the opposite of that. John says, for this reason, he says, when I come, or if I come, is what he says, if I come, I'm going to call him out. And these are the things I'm going to call him out on. Here are his deeds. He unjustly accuses with wicked words. He does not receive the brethren. Remember how much detail we just talked about with Gaius and how he received the brethren. Those he knows, those he doesn't know, send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. Now here's the atrophies, the opposite. He does not receive the brethren. He says that he forbids others from receiving them. Not only does he forbid or not receive the brethren himself, but he forbids others from doing it. And he puts them out of the church. As I mentioned a while ago, we've probably run into a diatrophy somewhere in our life. And it's sad. And it's sad that men get so puffed up, uh, that get so arrogant and so proud that they would result to this kind of behavior. Sadly, we see it, and sadly, even the Apostle John had to deal with it all these many years ago. And it still plagues the church. So why does John um, have to expose him? Look over in 1 Timothy 4 for just a moment. It's important in calling these things out in calling out error and calling out bad attitudes. It's important to do that. In 1 Timothy 4, as Paul is writing to the young evangelist Timothy, he tells him here in verses 1 and 2, but the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, pay attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created for the gratefully, uh, to be gratefully shared by those who believe and know the truth. You know, the danger in this is having their conscience seared with the branding iron. They go so far that they don't even have a good conscience about the, the, the error that they are teaching and preaching and the error that they are engaged in in their attitude. It says it's seared with a branding iron. That idea of no going back. It's I'm so far down the road, I can't go back. 
This is, this is Diotrephes. Now there's one last man that we'll talk about, and that is Demetrius. And John has great praise for Demetrius, even though he only occupies one verse. But let's talk about Demetrius a little bit in verse 12. It says, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. And we also bear witness, and you know that our witness is true. So here again, here's a man that's being praised by John. He says that he received a good testimony from everyone. We talked a while ago about those who leave here and, and go back and, to their homes and talk about the brethren in Cortez. That's, that's the good testimony we're hoping that's, that's happening or, or that we might speak of someone else. That's the anecdotal. That's the person-to-person the testimony that Demetrius is receiving. But he also says he re- receives a good testimony of the truth itself. So what does that mean? It means like Gaius, Demetrius is standing for the truth. That if you hold up him to the standard of God's word, that's what he's holding to. That's the, the, the standard that he, is, um, that he can be held to, the truth itself. So it's one thing for brethren to, to speak highly of you. It's another thing for you to, to be measured against the, the word of God. And you're found faithful according to that standard. And John adds his testimony as well. And he's, John says that he speaks from the truth. Again, reemphasizing who John is. John is an eyewitness to Jesus. He's an eyewitness to that ministry, that three-something three years that, that Jesus spent on earth. He was a witness to that. A few years, some years later, John's going to write Revelation. He's going to see the glorified Christ. He has that special um, relationship with Jesus. He saw him during his time on earth. He saw him, he was there at his crucifixion. He saw him as, in his resurrection. And then later on, he'll see him in his glorified state when he writes there about uh, seeing him. If you're there, probably the same opening there in Revelation uh, chapter 1. Look there at verse 12 of Revelation 1. It says, And I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And having turned, I saw in the golden lampstands, in the middle of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed in a robe reaching to his feet and girded across his breast with a golden girdle. And his, head was, uh, uh, and his head and his hair were like white wool with snow, like snow. And his eyes were a flame of fire. And his feet were burnished bronze, what has been caused to glow in the furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in its strength. John had that unique vision of the glorified Lord. And so... It speaks to um, not only the praise that, he, that John is giving for Demetrius and Gaius, but with what um, pride uh, Diotrephes tries to hold himself up and not accepting what John has to say. So, just looking at these three men side by side, here's Gaius, and he is loved by John and the truth. 
And John prays for him, his financial, his physical, and his spiritual health. And there's the, the testified of, of brethren that he is walking in truth, that he has hospitali hospitality to brethren and strangers. His love is evident to all, and he sends um, those on in a manner worthy of God. That's a good man. Here's Demetrius. We don't have a lot about Demetrius. Like I said, we only have one verse. But it says that he received a good testimony from all and from the truth. And John adds his testimony to everyone's. And John speaks the truth. So there's, this is a man who, who the brethren are speaking well of. He's being measured against the word of God. And John speaks the truth. He says he adds his testimony. He speaks well of him as well. And then in the middle here, we have Diotrephes. He loved to be first among them. He loved that position of prominence. And John warns that, when, that he will not accept what he says. John warns the brethren this. He's not accepting what I say. And he says that he's going to call attention to his deeds of unjustly accusing others with wicked words. How he does not receive the brethren and forbids others from receiving them as well. And even going so far as to putting them out of the church. So in this short letter, we have uh, quite a contrast between Gaius and Demetrius contrasted with Diotrephes. In the final words of um, the letter here, verses 13 and 14, John says, I had many things to write to you, but I am not willing to write them um, with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. Just a few closing things here that John has to say. He says that uh, he has other things to say to them, but he wanted to speak face to face. Does that sound familiar? You look back in 2 John as he's writing to the chosen lady and her children. Look down at verse 12 of 2 John. Having many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink. But I hope to come to you and speak to you face to face, that your joy may be made full. So we have this common uh, closing between 2nd and 3rd John. Is he's got other things to say, but he wants to say them in person. What does all that mean? We don't know. But it means, it, one thing it does tell us is the personal nature of these letters. We have the benefit of being able to read them. These are letters that, are, that he's writing to these individuals. And he wants to come to them. I got other things I, I, I want to say to you, but I want to say them face to face. And that tender love and the affection that he has for these that he is writing to shows through in all of that. I want to call your attention to verse 11. We skipped over this verse, but I want to close with this. Verse 11 says, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil. But what is good? The one who does not, uh, the one who does good is of God. The one who does not, who does evil, has not seen God. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. In all this, really, to me, this is the key verse. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil. John illustrates illustrates through these three men what is good. And what is evil? And he says that you ought to imitate the things that are good and not the things that are evil. 
Imitate what is good. The one who does good is of God. John spoke so often in these letters about putting people to the test, measuring them against the standard, testing the spirits, making sure that we are um, holding each other accountable, rejecting factious men, rejecting uh, false doctrine. Imitate what is good. And the one who does that is of God. And the one who does evil has not seen God. One last passage we'll look at. Look over in John's Gospel, in John 14. As we close, let's think about what John is saying here. Or what our Lord is saying. Beg your pardon. John recorded, recording it for us in his Gospel. Beginning of verse 14, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. If you look down at verse 5, here's Thomas. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known the Father also. From now on you shall know him and have seen him. So Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. So think about Jesus speaking to his, uh, his disciples here and asking this question, Lord, show us the Father, and it will be enough for us. And listen how Jesus responds. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How do you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own initiative, but the Father abiding me does his works. Jesus is saying, you've seen the Father because you have seen me. I and the Father are one. These men had the benefit of seeing and beholding him in the flesh, and still they struggled with it. We have the benefit of reading these words, not only of the gospel accounts, but these letters that others, other men wrote, telling us more about Jesus, telling us how the church would, would prosper and, and, and grow from the very humble beginnings we talked about this morning, the kingdom, how it started very small but grew and is so very precious. The one who does good is of God. We have seen God through his word. We have not seen Jesus in the flesh, but we believe he came in the flesh. It's the basis of our faith, isn't it? The one who does evil has not seen God. Those in the world have not seen God because they have not studied about God. They have not seen him through his word. And so, in closing, I hope what you get from, from the letters that John has is, is written here is the very fact that, verse 11, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. In this letter, we see three men here, two of whom we can see are good imitators. They're imitating 
Christ and one who is not. Let's make sure we're being like Gaius and Demetrius and not like Diotrephes. That's the end of our study in John's three epistles here that we have recorded for us at the end of um, the end of our Bibles. I hope this has been encouraging to you as we see uh, a man here had a very unique perspective in his writing to behold Jesus, to see him in the flesh and to sit at his feet and learn from him and to see the resurrected Christ and then to be uh, able to live to an old age and to speak these words, to write these things down for the benefit of his immediate audience and for the benefit of us. I hope this has been an encouraging study for you. If you have needs of the congregation, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.